Good morning, Harmony. You guys have a good week? Amen. Okay, so not so much, huh? <laughs> you guys, this energy this morning is lacking, folks. Okay, we're not at the library, okay? We're in the most beautiful place in the world we could possibly do, be doing the one thing you were created by God to do, which is to worship Him and to bring Him glory. So it is a good awesome hour. To be honest, it's probably the best hour of your week because you're doing exactly what you were born to do. Uh, We are in the last two weeks of our series called I Am Harmony. What we're focusing on in this series is, is your mentality when it comes to being part of the church. And so the question I asked you at the beginning of this series four weeks ago was, do you go to church or are you the church? Because there's a huge difference from being the church and going to church. A lot of people these days, they, don't, they aren't the church, they go to church. And that's why we see people popping from one church to the next, to the next, to the next. Because we approach it with a consumer mentality that we walk in and go, well, is the preacher interesting? Is the music really great? Does it have a children's program that gets my kids out of my hair? Does it have a coffee shop for me to hang out with? Does it have fun programs that I can do? Does it ask me to serve but only when I want to and have the time to? We have this checklist of things that we're looking for and as soon as we find deficiency, what do we do? We switch or move on to the next. It's not what God ever desired the church to be. God's desire for the church was a family united by the Spirit of God that came not asking, what can the church do for me, but what can I do for the church? And the beauty of the church was all these different people with all these different talents, with all these different strengths, united going, I will give everything I have to make the kingdom grow. And that's what made churches awesome. What's funny today is we've lost that, and what we've started to do is we play games just like we're businesses. Hey, come to church, it's kite day. Hey, come to church, it's free donut day. Hey, come to church because we got a brand new kids program with video games. We're not trying to sell you something here. I'm not trying to make you buy something. If you can't understand the value of what's here, and if you're here for any other reason than the truth that God has put in this word, you're in the wrong place. We are not interested in filling seats out of manipulation or promotion or interesting marketing tactics. We are here because we want a sold out group of people that will give everything to make the kingdom real. When I was in high school, it was always interesting to me that there was one sport there was never cuts in, and that was football. Every other sport I played, there were cuts. You go, you try out. At the end of one or two or three weeks, the coach would go to the players and go, hey, sorry, you're out. We appreciate your time and effort, but you didn't make it. With football, that never happened. And do you know why? It's so brutal that nobody hangs out for just fun. It's so brutal that the kids that are there for the wrong reason because they don't love the game, the kids that are just there because they want a letterman's jacket, The kids that are just there so they can be on the football team, eventually they go, no thank you. I have no interest in getting pummeled five days a week. I will see you later. So they never needed cuts because they knew that the work was hard enough that only those that loved it would be there. When you look at America right now, the problem with us is we don't have that spirit when it comes to our relationship with God. 
I think a lot of people believe God exists. I don't think a lot of people love God. And brothers and sisters, there is a huge difference from acknowledging that God exists and loving Him. And if you go, well, I believe He's there, great. Frankly, not to be rude, I think you have to be small-minded not to see God. Everywhere you look are miracles that no one can explain. Everywhere you look, life, science, everything screams. There's an intelligent creator. So for you to sit there and go, well, yeah, there's, there's a God, I think so. Great. That means your eyes are open. It's a different thing to say, and I love that God. I serve that God. And so as we've looked at this series, I've said there's a few points I really want you keeping at the forefront of your mind. These are the keys to the series. The first is right here in 1 Corinthians 12. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. God's point, the beauty of the church is that it's not one person, it's not ten people on staff, it's all the different people from different places and different backgrounds with different talents coming together in one spirit. And that spirit, it fills them, and it fills them with what? It fills them with what Second Timothy tells us, power, love, and self-discipline. And so what I've been stressing to you guys is, is if we're truly 70 people, 100 people, filled with the Spirit of God, a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, this community should look different. If that's true, that you have 70 people with the Spirit of God living in them, there's no way this city can't feel it. And so I've asked each and every one of you to really think about your own relationship. Not just with God, but with the church body and go, am I here visiting? Am I here shopping? Am I here to be inspired? Am I here to be encouraged? Or am I here to serve God? Very different things. And so we looked at our mission and we said, this is what Harmony Baptist has said we're here for. We've said we are here to build a family of disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. And I've tried to stress each week, we came up with that by going to God's Word and saying, what does the Word say the church is supposed to be? We didn't sit down and go, hey, what's kitschy? What sounds cool? What will be easy to memorize? What would look great on a poster? We said, what does the Bible say? And so I'm encouraging some of you that have been here as a visitor for three, four, five, six months. It's time for you to ask yourself, do you understand that? And if you understand that, then join. Let us know that. Because what we are looking for is a family. Accountable, loving, and supportive of each other moving forward to build the kingdom. If you're sitting there going, oh, well, no. I'll, I'm basically just coming because the sermons are okay and the music's great. I'll never join. Then please go somewhere else. I know that sounds rude. But I'm just going to be honest with you. We are not here just to have people come be entertained. We are here to serve God, to build the kingdom, and to change lives. Amen. Not here so that you can go home and go, that was an entertaining hour and I feel better about myself. It's not what the church is. If that's what you're looking for, let's be honest. You can find much better pastors than me online. You might be able to find better music. I don't know, Maria's got a pretty good voice. You might be able to find decent music close to it online. 
And you can sit there and listen to it whenever you want and feel good about yourself. <coughs> but if you're here to serve Him, and you're here to do something, then be here. So today we're focusing on the last part of that, follow Jesus. And I hope you can tell already from the beginning of this sermon, this is going to be one of those toe-stopping sermons from me. All right, This is not the one where you're going to walk out going, Man, God is so awesome. This is going to be the one where you walk out and go, I need to get right. It's going to be one of those ones where you look at yourself and go, You know what? There is more that I can do. So let's talk about following Jesus. When I was a kid, my dad every night, well, not every night, but most nights would read to us. Uh, sometimes it was the Bible. Sometimes it was Jack London. Sometimes it was from this great book called The Book of Virtues. And the Book of Virtues is by William Bennett. And it's just a collection of really cool things about loyalty, honor, courage, friendship, love. And one of the things that I loved in it was this ad. It was in this book. And it was an ad that was originally published by Mr. Shackleton, does anybody know who Shackleton is? Shackleton was a great explorer, Ernest Shackleton. He went and explored Antarctica. This is a job ad that Ernest Shackleton posted when he was looking for a crew to go to Antarctica. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. Does that sound like most job offers? Doesn't sound like most at all, does it? In fact, is he selling it? No. Not really. To begin with, it's all the terrible things. Look at that. Hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of darkness, constant danger, and I don't even think you're going to return. <laughs> Do you know what happened? He said it felt like all the men in England showed up that day to respond to this ad. Now think about how the ad could have looked. It could have said, crew needed for long journey, looking for experienced boatsmen, looking for, right? Could have listed all the talents he was looking for, the pay, and who would have responded? Probably not many. Why the heck did so many men respond to that? Is it the top part? No, it's the bottom that says, honor and recognition in an event of success. And you know what it tapped into? The heart of some men reading that going, I've had jobs. And you know what they do? They crush my soul just a little bit every day. Because every day, I exchange my time, my energy, and my effort for dollars to do something I really could care less about. Those men read that and went, man, that sounds cool. Man, to, to, to do something that when I was done, there would be honor, there would be glory, there'd be recognition, sign me up. See, what Ernest knew was men responded to the why you do things, not just the what you do. And if the why is right, you don't care what the what is or the how. You'll find ways to get through that. Now, one of the reasons I love this as a child was I just love, I thought that was a cool story. But second, you know what? It reminded me of Scripture. It reminded me of Scripture. One of the most puzzling things I see in all of America is pastors who preach the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. So if you're not familiar with that term, that's the pastor going, brothers and sisters, God loves you. If you will pray to Him, if you will read His work, He will make you rich. 
He will make you famous. He will make your business successful. He will make your marriage right. He will make your kids rise up to be amazing children. You want to be great? Hang with famous people. Hang with rich people and God will bless you. Now send me $2.99 and I'll send you this prayer rug and it's going to make all those prayers come true. Now the reason this has always been so shocking to me is of two reasons. One, it doesn't work. If you've ever gone to those churches for a while, eventually you're going to be looking at the pastor going like, am I doing something wrong? Because I'm here, I'm not rich, I haven't gotten handsomer, and I'm not getting any more powerful. So what's going wrong here? The second thing is, nowhere is that in here. Nowhere. In fact, it's almost the complete opposite. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives us, starting in verse 16, he basically gives us the Ernest Shackleton ad about being a Christian. Jesus is about to send out the disciples to go and do the work, and here's what he tells them. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Well, that's a good inspiring speech there, right? Why don't you go to your friends this week who aren't believers and just give them that verse there and go, that's why you should be a Christian. You should be a Christian because when you follow God, your brothers, your sisters, your family will turn on you, You'll be dragged in front of the courts. You'll be beaten and flogged. And frankly, people will hate you because you belong to Jesus. Great sales pitch, Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus would sit down with a marketing person? They'd be like, your whole message is wrong, man. That's not how you sell people. But why is Jesus saying this? Because it's truth. It's the honest, goodness, truth. And it's a hard message to take. I want you to read this and understand that while this was delivered to the disciples, it's delivered to all of you that choose to say, I belong to Jesus. To all of you that say, I will follow him. This is his words to you. Do you see anywhere here about wealth, prosperity, fame, popularity? Do you see any of that? No. That's why, frankly, I was so surprised that this past year when the election was happening and so many Christians were acting like if the democratic person won, the world would be over. Guys, we know how this plays out. God warns us it gets ugly. In fact, in many ways, God's saying there should be this. The scariest thing for me, for any Christian, would be is if you say my views and my opinions have never offended anyone. If your views and your opinions have never offended anyone, you're not speaking this. Because this was offensive. Offensive enough that they took a Jewish carpenter who never raised a weapon in his life, 
who never incited a single riot in his life, and they beat him, murdered him, and put him on a cross. So if you ever wonder if this is offensive, the answer is on that cross right there. Absolutely it is. So Jesus warns, guys, if you came to me for anything other than that you love me, and that you're bought into this kingdom, you're in the wrong place. Now look at what he continues to say. Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Bezalel, how much more will they malign those of the household? What's he saying? Guys, pay attention to my life. You're following me. So pay attention to how that path is going for me and pay attention to how that, that path plays out for me. So think about it. Who was the best Christian ever? You guys should know that answer. Jesus. Okay? Not you. If you think it's you, we got a problem. Let's talk about humility next week, alright? The best Christian ever was Jesus. Did Jesus end up healthy, wealthy, and prosperous from a worldly standpoint? No. Even along the journey was Jesus looked at as a hero. There were brief moments. Brief moments. But mostly along the way, those of power and influence, they would actually accuse him of being under the power of Satan. Jesus goes, if that happens to me, guys, it's going to happen to you. Don't be shocked when it does. Don't be surprised when this comes your way. So have no fear for them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is also in heaven. So what's he tying it back to? He's tying it back and he's saying, guys, the reality and the beauty of this and why you do this is while here on earth truth will be hated, you will always have the peace in your heart to know that you have spoken God's truth. You will have the clear conscience to know that you have walked the path of righteousness and what one day, or today, is hated will one day be glorified. Right now you're living in fear of men. What can men do to you? And this is where he starts to give you a new way to think. He goes, what can men do to you? They can kill you? Guess what? 100% of the people in this room will die. Did you guys know that? 100% of people will die. It's funny, I do a lot of funerals, and uh, one of the guys I work with at the funeral homes, he always jokes about how his business is so secure. 
because he knows everybody will die. He's never worried about business going bad. He knows he always has job security because everyone dies. Everyone. Jesus' point is, is what, what, are you, what are you trying to do? You're trying to please people that at the very end, the worst thing they can do is kill you, which guess what? That's already going to happen. Rather, what you should be focused on is your spirit. Because the one thing that can't be killed is your spirit. So here you are trying to please those that have no influence over where your spirit ends up or what your spirit feels when you should be thinking about your Father in Heaven. The one who can control that. The one who will choose where you go. He's trying to get them to think differently. You want to understand what that does to you? Imagine a world where there is no fear. Imagine a world where there is no repercussions. How many of you, if all of a sudden you no longer had to pay bills, would keep doing your job tomorrow? Handful? Imagine all the things we do in fear in life being gone. And instead, us living not in fear, but living because we were passionately pursuing something. Do you know what the most awesome feeling in the world is? To know that no matter what happens, you will keep doing what you're doing because you love it. You love it. I've often told my wife about being a pastor. It doesn't really matter if a church ever employs me or not. I will preach to people. May just be to her or to family or people on the streets. But I will be preaching God's word because that's what I've been built by God to do. And it was funny. There was a period in my life where I didn't have a church. You know what I did? I started a website. I put out devotionals. And I wrote blogs. And I wrote things about Christ. And I recorded sermons. And I put them out there. Why? Because that's what I've been made to do. And whether you pay me to or not, I will keep doing that. Now please don't take that as a sign that you guys should stop paying me. <laughs> I saw some of you, the light bulbs went off, and you're like, there's a way we could save some money here. <laughs> I will do this no matter what, because this is what God made me to do. What I'm asking you is, how many of you have something in your life that you will always pursue no matter what? And how many of those things that you pursue do you know they'll last forever? They'll last forever. That's what Christ was giving his men the opportunity to be part of. Was it going to be an easy path? No. Was it going to be pain and hurt? Yes. But my goodness, to live with passion, to live with purpose, to live with a clear conscience, to live knowing that you could look at your father and go, I have tried my best. And that he would look back at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know for some of you, your relationships with your parents are different. But me, I grew up in a home blessed to have two parents who loved me, guided me, protected me, and nurtured me. And you know, to this day, one of the things that will make me the happiest of all the things in the world is my mom and dad saying, proud of you, son. 34 years old, and still, mom and dad saying, proud of you, son, means more to me than almost anything. I can't wait to imagine that feeling standing before him and having him say that to me. That's what I drive for. That's what I work for. 
And that's what he wants you focused on here. Why are you doing this? Did you come here to make your life easier? Or did you come here because you love him? And because through him, there is a passion in your heart that is beyond anything and everything else. That's what he wants you to taste. Look at verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That one seems kind of natural, doesn't it? <laughs> daughter-in-law versus mother-in-law. I don't think he needed much help with that one. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Did you hear that? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And this is the one that will really get you. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus' ad is a little bit longer. He's a little bit more clear in the negative repercussions. But that last sentence is the key to the whole thing. Whoever loses their life will find it. Do you know what Jesus is saying? You guys don't know what it's like to be alive. You don't. Not until you know me. You think you know what life is, but you do not. What you're stuck in is a silly game of trying to make yourself feel good about yourself, trying to do things of purpose that just keep fading away, trying to please a world that keeps changing the rules and the games on you. And every time you try to fill yourself with significance, do you know what you find? Emptiness. And God, He's so true. How many of you have found that whenever you get to that next goal in your head, you're still just as empty as you were before? Right? Has anybody yet got that pay raise that went, now I'm not broke? <laughs> or don't you find it surprising that as soon as you get a pay raise, you still feel broke? <laughs> and you thought like, oh, when we get there, that will solve the problems. That will take care of it all. And then you get there and you go, nope. Didn't solve the problems, still broke, still stressed, still feel empty. Or how many of you are like, that next promotion, man, when I get there, then I'll have real influence. I'll have real power. And then you get there and realize, no, in fact, I may have less. A lot of us, we set out in the future this goal where we say, when I get there, oh, then it'll change. Then it'll be different. No, it won't. Because what won't be different is you. See, happy people, it's not about the circumstances in their life. It's about who they are. It's about when they look in the mirror in the morning, they go, I know who I am. I know why I'm here. And I know what I'm going to do today. And guess what? You can put any job title you want on top of it. It doesn't change a thing. You can pay me different amounts. It doesn't change an answer to those questions. And if I can look in the mirror and say those things, I know who I am. I know what I'm about to do. And I know why I exist. Everything else fits in. Christ said, come to me and I will teach you to be alive. And do you know what's beautiful? When you truly meet people who have given themselves over to Christ, that's what they'll tell you. 
Remember at one point he looks at his disciples after he's given a really hard lesson and he goes, will you leave me too? Because a bunch of people left. And they go, where would we go? Where else could we possibly go and get the life that you give us? Because God, when we're with you, we feel alive. I can't imagine being apart from you. That's the relationship. That's the relationship that he is driving for. Flip with me to Matthew 19. I want to give you another picture of this. Matthew 19, starting in verse 16, it tells of a story of a man that comes to Jesus and pretty much sets him up to share a story of the gospel. And I want you to pay attention very much so to how Jesus responds to this young man's request. In Matthew 19, verse 16, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I want you to think about that for a second. As a Christian, especially as a pastor, I can tell you that one of the dream scenarios that we wish would happen that never does is someone walk up to us and go, How do I get to heaven? Man, what a great opening, right? Typically, I'm trying to direct conversations that have nothing to do with spirituality to spiritual things so we can have this conversation here. This man walks up to Jesus and goes, How do I have eternal life? Now, if I didn't just read that passage to you, don't you imagine if you had thought about this earlier this week, you'd imagine Jesus' response to be different? Right? Couldn't you have gone into the gospel? Well, son, here's the important thing. A. Admit your sin. B. Believe, right? He could have gone through the ABCs of salvation. Did he do that? No, instead he goes, why do you call me good? Then he goes, well, you know the commandments. Have you followed those? Yep, I followed all of them. And then he gives this weird statement that frankly isn't something we hear him ever direct us to do again. He tells this rich man to go sell everything he has and to give it to the poor and then come and follow him. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? He does it because he's Jesus and he knows that man's heart. There's a couple interesting things that you only notice when you really look at the nuances. Notice what the young man said. What can I do for eternal life? What's the answer to that question? Nothing. None of you in this world, not me, not anyone else, can earn salvation. Salvation can only be earned by perfection. Which means all of you and I are in trouble. Salvation is a gift given by the only perfect Son to the rest of the world that believes. 
It's a gift that comes from cross, the cross because Jesus on it paid for your sins. That blood that was spilled washed you clean so that from that moment forward, when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus, upon you. That young man, he thought he was impressive. He was impressed with his resume. He looked at himself in the mirror and thought, I am God's gift to this world. I am rich. I am good. I follow all the rules. I deserve this. He went to Jesus with the intention of Jesus saying, Son, you've done it all well. Man, if just more people would be like you. And what Jesus strung at was, you can't earn this through good behavior. If you want to follow me, get rid of everything else and come follow me. Put me first. That's why he went after his wealth. For every one of us, there is that one thing that's really hard for us to get rid of. And what Christ basically is saying, it's the same reason he talked about loving your parents or your children more, is he's saying when it comes to your heart, the number one thing on the list is what? Him. Nothing else. Nothing else. And here's why. If Jesus is two, three, four, five on the list, guess what? You'll always find an excuse not to follow. If this man truly loved Jesus, what would he have said? You mean if I sell everything, I can follow you? You mean if I sell everything, I get to be one of your disciples? I'll be right back. I will be right back. And he would have sprinted away from there, sold his things, and come back with a joy in his heart going, I get to be a disciple. Instead, he walked away going, I have a lot of stuff. You want me to get rid of all of it? Here's the point about following Jesus. Is there anything else in your heart you put above him? Is there anything else that you wouldn't give him Because if there is, then you're not really following. Jesus wants sold out disciples. That's what he's looking for. Sold out disciples who go, everything and anything I have is yours. Everything. And when we do that, then we learn what life is. Then we learn what real love is. But the moment that we don't do that, the moment we hold back, we will never be satisfied with this journey. Never. And frankly, if you were to ask me what Harmony's biggest problem is as pastor, I would tell you that I think there's a lot of people in this room that love Jesus. But he's two, three, four, or five on the list. He's not number one. We give him our leftover time. We give him our leftover energy. We give him our leftover money. We give him our leftover effort. We do not give him first. And that's why we don't look like the twelve. That's why we don't look like the church in Acts. Because those people said, first and foremost, I give for the kingdom. Everything else is just details. Just details. Good John 8.12 Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Man, I wish I could put it into better words. Kind of reminds me of just having kids. I've told you this before. I use this analogy all the time. My father told me you will never understand what love is like until you have a child. Because I, it's just different. He's like, there's no words to really explain to you what it feels like. I remember kind of thinking, you know, I was a youth pastor, I was a children's minister, I had a bunch of kids in my life I would take care of, that I was pouring myself into, that I was developing, that I was coaching, that I was trying to raise up right. Some of them in tough spots. I thought, can't be that different, right? I mean, I'm pouring myself out a lot for kids. Yeah, the first second that child was in my hands. When Ty came out, he wasn't breathing. Blue. Blue, and they were holding them. He wasn't crying. I saw the panic in their nurses' faces. I used to be a chaplain at one of the hospitals, so they called the code blue, which I knew was not good. And then that like, three, four, five, six, seven seconds, man, I learned what it was like to be a parent. Thank God he started to breathe and to cry, and he turned into a healthy little kid. But I remember thinking that night while everybody was asleep, how could it be that this little being I'd never even met before, that never done a thing for me, that in those seven to ten seconds, my life felt like it was on the line? I went, that's what he was talking about. That's that kind of love. And brothers and sisters, when you have a true relationship with Jesus, not just where you think He's a great guy, not just where you think He was a wise teacher, not just where you believe He died on a cross and rose three days later, but when you have a relationship with Him, where you go, I love Him. He's my Lord. I will follow Him all the days of my life. And it is the greatest joy to know that I walk with Him. You'll have a love like that in your heart that you can't explain to anybody. It will literally be beyond words. I can't tell you the peace I have in my life knowing, not that I do everything perfect, you all can attest to that, but knowing that I've at least tried to walk His path. Knowing that, well, He will be able to point out all the things I've done wrong in life. I doubt my Father will ever ask me, did you love me, son? I think he knows the answer to that. There's a peace, there's a passion, there's a love, there's a happiness that's worth all the obstacles. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? I'm going to leave you with one last story. It's one of my favorite exchanges in the entire Bible. It's in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, we see Jesus after His resurrection. And after His resurrection, He is coming to His disciples and He is giving them His final instructions. Now, to fully understand the context of the conversation that's about to happen between Peter and Jesus, let me give you a few background things. First, Jesus and Peter had a very close relationship. Of all the disciples mentioned, Peter is the one that is mentioned the most by name. Not only that, but they had this unique thing where his real name was Simon. But Jesus called him Petras, which we translate to Peter. 
Petras is rock. And so really, this is like Jesus gave him the nickname Rocky. That kind of makes sense when you read about Peter. One, he was this kind of abrasive, larger-than-life personality. And he was a fisherman. He was probably a pretty big dude. All day, working with his hands. All day, manually doing labor. And so, Simon Peter was one of these disciples that we constantly hear about. And so, Jesus had this cool thing with Simon Peter. When he would call him Peter, it meant he was doing good. But when he said Simon, it meant he was in trouble. Kind of reminds me as a child when I heard Luke James. I knew it was not good. When I heard Luke James Gradeless get down here, I started praying. My head started running through. What did they find out about? What did I make a mistake on? What, what do they know now? What's happening? If I was triple named, it was a problem. But if I was just Luke, everything was good. So whenever Simon Peter would hear Simon, he'd go, uh-oh. I'm in trouble. Well, besides Simon Peter and Jesus having this close-knit relationship, Peter was always the one saying, I'll never leave you. I'll never betray you. I'll never let you die. If they ever come to kill you, I'll kill them. Peter was bold like that. Well, on the night they come to take Jesus, what happens? The disciples flee. Peter flees. Now, he stays kind of around the peripheral to watch what's happening. But three times that night, what does he do? He denies that he even knows Jesus. Forget that he, he doesn't defend Jesus. Forget that he doesn't stand by his side. He denies he even knows him. Now, you ever want to talk about like scary sin? That's scary sin. That's scary sin to know that one day you'd have to explain to Christ why when the toughest time came, you stood there and went, not me, I don't know the guy. Never seen him, never heard him. Love him? I don't even know who that is. So Simon Peter, the leader of these men, bails, denies Christ, and flees. And this is when Jesus has a first conversation with him after his resurrection. John 21, 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Let me give you a little context in the words here. This conversation happens for a few reasons. One is because when Jesus shows up after the resurrections, he tells his men to go meet him, to be ready to go spread the gospel. Well, when Jesus shows up here, do you know what the men are doing? They're fishing. They've gone back to their old way of life. In fact, the whole story has this beautiful symmetry to the first time Jesus calls these men. Remember, when the first time he called Peter, what was Peter doing? He was at his job, fishing. And Jesus came to him and he said, Peter, follow me. And Peter dropped his nets and from that moment on, followed Jesus. 
So here Jesus is given instructions, wait for me, we got some work to do. And what happens? Peter leads the men to go back to their day-to-day jobs. So that's why Peter goes, or Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me more than this? Now what we miss is, because we speak English, love has some different connotations. In Greek, there's three words for love. There's eros, which refers to physical love. There is agapo, or agape, which refers to all-consuming, all-important love. And there's phileo, which is brotherly, friendly love. The first time Jesus asks, he says, do you love me more than all else? Peter responds, I love you like a brother. Jesus again says, do you love me more than all else? And Peter responds, I love you like a brother. The third time Jesus goes, do you love me like a brother? And that's when it says the third time Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because his sin of bailing on Jesus made him feel so guilty, he felt like he couldn't look at Christ and go, I love you more than everything. Why? Because it sounded foolish. How could I tell Jesus I love him more than everything when I, I bailed on him? I ran. But do you know what I love here? What I love here is at the end of this exchange, what does Jesus tell him to do? Go feed the sheep. Go feed the sheep. I can't imagine how good those words must have felt to Peter. Part of you are going, why is feed the sheep so powerful? It's powerful because what he's telling them is, go preach the word. Remember three years ago, I showed up and before you'd ever sinned against me, I asked you to do what? I asked you to go preach the word. Follow me, come preach the word. And here we stand now, three years later, and yes, you've fallen. Yes, you betrayed me. But son, I love you, go feed the sheep. Go preach the word. What's he telling Peter? He's telling them, it's okay. I forgive you. I restore you. And if you love me, you keep doing what I've asked you to do. See, brothers and sisters, that's the beauty, the beauty of this relationship. Not only does God the Father give you life, And life to an extent, to a fullness, to a joy, to a love, to a peace that is beyond everything. But He's also forgiving. And even when you wake up one day and realize, I have veered off path, He'll walk back to you, He'll ask you if you love Him, and He'll bring you back. How awesome is that? How wonderful is that? See, that's the beauty of what God offers. Because let's be real about all the things here on earth. In most of our places, if you stole from your company, guess what? You're getting fired. And even if the company forgave you, would they let you work there again? Would they let you be the treasurer again? No. Even if they forgave you, it'd be like good riddance. Even in our intimate, personal relationships, most of us, if we cheat on our spouse, what will happen? They'll leave us. And even if they forgive us, 
It may not mean the restoration of the relationship. And so what Jesus is saying is, you guys pour so much energy, effort, and time into worldly things that one, leave you empty, and two, are fragile. They can be taken away from you in the snap of your fingers. Instead, give to me. And what I will give you is a love beyond words. I will give you a purpose and a passion that will always fill you up. And child, I'll never leave you. No matter how badly you fall, no matter how badly you slip up, I will always be there to lift you back up. My love is without condition. And I know this will be a longer thing than just what you're going to take in the next few minutes. But God, I pray. I pray over this week you really think about your relationship with Him. Is Jesus number one? Is He the passion of your life? Is the thing that you will go after with everything you have? Or is He down here? Is he like five, six, seven on the list? Again, this will sound harsh, but if he's down here, you might as well just stop. Because the only way the relationship works is if he's number one. If he's not number one, you will never understand what I am talking about. You will never feel what I am talking about. You will never get what this truth is about. So you have that talk with your father. I can't know the answer. Your neighbor can't know the answer. Your spouse can't know the answer. Only you and the father can know the answer. Let me just tell you, as one person on that trail, it is a great path to be on. There's so much, so much on that path. It is worth all the painful things he could ever list just to be with him. Maria, if you'll come up. I'll be down here at the front if there's anybody that needs to pray. I encourage each of you to really think about your relationship with you. I think there's some of you here who love the concept of who Jesus is, but you don't know and love him. If that's you, just talk to him. Just say, Father, if you can hear me. And I guarantee he'll talk back. Let us stand and let us pray.